Okay, you ready? Oh, wait, Here I just bit my gum out. Sorry. One second. No problem. <laughs> it's too okay. late. We're putting that in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're chatting with Kiana Cave, a self-proclaimed obnoxious mad scientist. She's a young biotech entrepreneur with an interesting outlook on life, science, and the world. She's already invented an ecosystem-saving molecule, has a planet named after her, knows how to fly a plane, and is working on increasing access to non-hormonal birth control. Without further ado, here is Kiana Cave on Planet Reimagined. So Kiana, you are an obnoxious person. You are self-proclaimed obnoxious, and then I saw you created steps on how to be an obnoxious person. (laughs) Why why do you wear this title proudly? (laughs) Um, I wear it proudly because I think there's like a misconception about people that are very ambitious. And I think when I said that it's okay to be an obnoxious person and when I gave instructions, which is really dangerous, I guess, um... I think what I meant was that persistent people do sometimes end up reaching their goals. And so it's important to stay vigilant and not allow anybody to tell you or make you believe that you can't do what you set out to do. Wow. Yeah. It's it's funny. I was thinking about your steps as I, w- I was reading them. And step two is to forget what everyone else thinks. And for <laughs> me, that's absolutely the hardest thing to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I've developed this sort of social anxiety over the past couple of years. It came out of nowhere. And I think it has more to do with like the more conscious I become about my environment and just more of a maturity thing, uh, the more socially anxious I get. So I totally get that. And so how old are you right now? 22. 22. And at 22, you have already done so many things that most people work their whole lives to achieve. So the the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that you invented a molecule. What does that even mean? Um, Yeah, so I'm a self-proclaimed mad scientist. I've self-proclaimed a lot of things. (laughs) But back in high school, it was such a long time ago now, um, I was trying (laughs) to figure out (laughs) what... I wanted to do and I was pursuing all of these different things. Like I think I did five sports, like cheerleading, track, swimming. I did lacrosse at one point. I played piano. It was too much and I was spread super thin. And then I started doing this research project because I became passionate about a certain topic. It was related to the BP oil spill. Um, And obviously growing up in New Orleans for part of my life, it's really impacted the community here. So as soon as I started doing that research, I dropped everything else. And so one of the things I always tell people or some good advice is once you find something that you would drop everything else for, hold on to that because it might be your passion or the thing that you will pursue for the rest of your life. So for me, that was using chemistry to solve issues. It's not necessarily just oil spills. Um, I'm trying to shake the name oil spill girl. It's, (laughs) um, (laughs) I started pursuing that and eventually um, it came to the point where I identified this really big problem 
lots of people didn't believe me, but I was able to develop this method to sort of prove that the problem exists. Um, the problem being that whenever there is an oil spill, there are photochemical reactions that happen between the UV rays uh, from the sun and the actual chemicals, so to speak, on the surface of the water. And so these carcinogens are forming. And that was the part that no one believed. So there's this process that you can use to actually identify the carcinogens and their concentration. Um, and people were kind of annoyed about that because it gave them more work. <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up developing a molecule, so to speak, that would neutralize those carcinogens. And they call it a dispersant. So I'm thinking back to my high school chemistry class and chemistry was never my strong suit. I excelled more in the humanities side of things. Uh -huh. But even in my high school chemistry class, we never went this deep into anything. <laughs> How did you have the knowledge and the excitement to work on something like this from a, I mean, I, I assume that it was just a basic high school chemistry class that you were in. Yeah, honestly, something I don't talk about a lot is that the high school and even middle school science classes really annoyed me because once I got into a real lab and I was pursuing real research and innovation, none of what I learned in those science classes really applied except for the big overarching concepts. So yes, I learned in chemistry that there are these things called photochemical reactions. And I basically used that big, like high level concept and took a deep dive, but that was really, it wasn't from the chemistry class. It was doing like self-teaching and just being in a lab environment, understanding the tools and how to use them to create a method that's never been created before. Mm. So you were already excited about chemistry and the science side of things before you came up with this idea. So you had a, a much larger grounding in the sciences before you came up with this um, photo product idea. It, it depends on how you look at it. I would say there were points in middle school when I would actually get calls home because I was so bad at it. <laughs> um, like the, there was this one earth science class that I just could not pay attention. And later on, we found out that I just have ADD and we fix that. But <laughs> I think there was, there was also this sort of feeling of being discouraged when people look at you and assume that you won't be good at it just because of maybe your gender or your, the color of your skin, which I was so unaware of until I got to college. Now, looking back on everything, I think there was a lot of discrimination going on. Well, you proved all of them wrong. <laughs> what was it like to have a planet named after you? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that this happened in what, like 2015 or 16, and it still gets brought up sometimes. <laughs> it was... <laughs> Interesting because it, no, it really was one of those defining moments when I realized that maybe I am actually good at something for once. There was a local science fair and that school year after the summer where I started doing research, my biology teacher briefly mentioned you should enter the science fair. So I didn't really consider it until the very last like week that you could apply. It was to the point where it was the night before. I didn't have any sort of presentation ready, um, but I decided to do it for some reason. I still don't know like what made me do it, 
But my mom took me to CVS and we got one of those like cardboard um, trifold boards. And I get to the fair and I just, I mean, I didn't prepare or anything. I just started talking about what I did. The actual award ceremony, I had a robotics competition for um, and I was the captain. So like I couldn't miss it to go get, you know, my own award. So I sent my mom and I remember her calling me and I was on the bus ride back from the robotics competition. And she said, Kiana, you won the whole fair. And it was so embarrassing that you weren't there <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> like every two minutes you were being called up for another sort of award. And like, it was really weird that this 40 year old woman was <laughs> going up on stage and I was like, that's really weird. I had no, because when I mentioned the board, like the trifold, because if you were to walk in and see it, everyone had these like elaborate posters that you get printed at FedEx for like a hundred dollars, you know? So it was really intimidating. Um, And I, I came in with like a middle school type of presentation, but at the end of the day, like it was really exciting. And from that, when they, sent me to the international fair, which for the first time, like I would be in a room with 2000 people from all over the world and they all won their fair. So it would be a really good opportunity to like pick brains and just culture myself a little bit more. (laughs) Um, And so I went, I got a better poster this time and I remember I did the same thing. I just talked about what I did. So at the award ceremony, they were about to get to like third, second, first place, and it would be over and we could leave. So I was on Facebook, not really paying attention when they said, and second and first place winners get an asteroid named after them by NASA. And all I could remember thinking was, oh, good for them. Like that's going to really change their lives. I'm sure colleges would really love that, you know? (laughs) And then all of a sudden they called my name. But yeah, I think it what really was that moment where I really realized for some reason um, people care about the things I'm working on. Aside from the fact that it's a planet and that's cool, like that moment really did change my whole outlook on everything. Wow, that really is incredible. Um, I want to talk about your move into entrepreneurship as opposed to staying in the academic route. And that is something that kind of I've struggled with personally. Other people I've talked to started school, dropped out after a semester or dropped out after a couple of years to focus on entrepreneurship. Why did you mm-hmm. choose the path that you did? The path that kind of went all over the place. Um, <laughs> I think because of the way that I was raised, um, my mom raised me as a single mom. Everybody in my family, they're all immigrants. They came over either from Trinidad or from Haiti, France. I mean, all over the world. Mm. But they had this belief in the American dream and all of the sacrifices they made to raise me the way that they did um, was super important to them. And obviously to me, I didn't want to let anybody down. Um And it's obviously really risky to pursue like an entrepreneurial path instead of just stability. Sorry, it's like hard to go back and think about, but I think I had to get over that fear and it took me about 
two or three years in college to do that. The whole time though, I was sort of avoiding being a good student and just getting the grades. There was one semester where in between, like when my oil spill project ended and when I started this new project where I had, you know, no extracurriculars, I got straight A's and I was bored as hell. (laughs) Um, I just couldn't do it. And that's when I decided, you know, I love my parents, um, my mom who raised me pretty much by herself, but this is one thing that I have to do. There's no other option. Yeah, that's incredible. Along very different lines, somehow in your spare time, you learned how to fly a plane? (laughs) So after the summer after high school, yeah, is when I got my recreational pilot's license, but (laughs) it was my engineering teacher from high school, who I also credit to like inspiring me to pursue that field. Um, He was in the Navy or a pilot in the Navy. And so he taught me how to fly planes for fun. I was one of those nerds that like, instead of having friends to sit with at lunch, which I did, it's just, I actually went to like my teacher's rooms and I was way more comfortable in the engineering room than with the robotics team than I was being in the lunchroom. So that that was the main reason why. Just how you allocate your time. Do you think learning to fly a plane informed any of your work or was it helpful in any of the science-based stuff you're working on? Absolutely. A lot of um, common sense things are involved with <laughs> flying a plane. Um, but I also in conjunction was taking like an aerospace engineering class at Tulane. Mm. So they just really helped each other. And I still use some of those concepts today. And for some reason, I still remember the coefficient of lift equation. And that's really weird. What is the coefficient of lift equation? I remember the letters, but not the actual. What is it talking about? What does that mean? Coefficient of lift. So it's the actual force that is applied when, like from wind, and then you're dividing that by the actual mass of the plane and then the pull of gravity on the plane. Mm. So, which is like negative 9.98, Never mind. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to call this podcast, come here to learn about the coefficient of lift and nothing else. (laughs) Exactly. Um, (laughs) So... You went from inventing this molecule through this kind of winding path of your life, and now you're working on a project that's focused on non-hormonal birth control. First of all, can you tell me what non-hormonal birth control is and why it's something that's important? Basically, just to refresh on how the pill works, because my main focus right now is on the hormonal pill and debunking some myths about that. Basically, you take it and it's a form of synthetic estrogen and progesterone. Those are the two primary sex hormones in females. And so when you take the synthetic hormones, your body recognizes them as natural, so to speak, and it stops the production of estrogen and progesterone. Um, And so now your body is relying solely on the dosage from the pill. The issue with that is that Yes, it does shut down ovulation, but it's also technically putting your body into menopause because the dosage of estrogen in the pill is only one-tenth of the dosage that women actually need 
to pretty much remember that they're women um, or their bodies, at least. So it's really frustrating the way that the pill has been marketed for so many years. It's just marketed as a solution to a lot of things when in reality, it's making your body forget how to function um, naturally as, as a woman. So the whole idea behind a non-hormonal pill is that instead of shutting down ovulation um, to avoid pregnancy, we're delaying it. So we're, if the egg were to be fertilized, it would be during a time in your cycle that wouldn't really foster a healthy pregnancy. Therefore, a fertilized egg wouldn't survive, if that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. And that was such a clear and concise explanation that I feel like that's going to be really helpful to everybody awesome. listening to understand what this is. Um, why is this something that you became interested in? Because you came from one specific area of right. chemistry and then you, you, you moved towards this space. How did you get here? So like a lot of young women, I was having irregular periods and just issues with my cycle. So my mom took me to an appointment and the first thing they did was prescribe the pill. And I was 15 or 16 at the time. So I didn't really have any issues, at least I don't think I did. But there was a point in college, my sophomore year, when I started having all of these problems. I gained 20 pounds in a very short period of time. And it wasn't just the freshman 15. It was <laughs> a little bit, you know, more alarming than that. I all of a sudden had really bad acne when I had never had it before. I was losing hair and my friends were calling me crazy, which normally they referred to me as a level-headed person, I would like to think. Um, <laughs> An obnoxious level-headed person. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> so there was definitely something wrong. And I'd visited a few doctors. None of them even thought that it could have been the pill. So there were tons of medical bills just down the drain, couldn't find a solution until I went to one gynecologist who said that I should stop the pill and see what happens. And sure enough, within two weeks, I was starting to go back to normal. And at that point, I was really, really pissed. And what I tend to do is start to devise solutions. And it doesn't even matter if they seem in, impossible. I put everything on the table and look at it mm -hmm. from all perspectives. Um, so I, my, I just don't allow my mind to block those like potential pathways. And sure enough, yes, the idea of developing a pill without hormones was impossible for a 20, 20 year old at the time, like doing it from scratch. But a few months later, I came across a non-hormonal pill that already exists in India. Um, and it's available for free, subsidized by the government and over of the course. counter. Of course, right? <laughs> and sure enough, the drug was created on the assumption that they don't want to shut down ovulation because that's really unhealthy for women. Like, go figure. <laughs> so they had a whole different approach. And the goal after that was to bring that drug to the U.S. There have been a few challenges because everyone's sort of motivated by profit and, you know, fundraising can be a little difficult when 
there's not really a patent on the drug. It's been around for 20 years. So mm-hmm. we're sort of navigating that. I still want to do it though. And it's not about profit. It's literally about getting women off of hormones. <laughs> wow. You're so open about your personal life and how that kind of drives you. Has that ever been scary for you to share details of things that you went through as you were growing up? Not really. I I think Mm. it might be because I'm an oversharer in general, but (laughs) one of the biggest like motivating things for me has been other people sharing their lives. And um, I don't know if you've heard any of Brene Brown's speeches or read her book, but she talks all about like vulnerability and how more people need to be vulnerable. And we have this entire like complex and it's centered around um, ego and super ego. And if we're able to like get around that and be more vulnerable, um, the society as a whole might be a little more functional and happier. So I kind of want to move a little bit into the discussion of sustainability because that's the theme of the podcast and what we talk about in every episode. Um, For you, I I read that one of your early goals was to work as an engineer for an oil company. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So then you created something that helps to fix mistakes that the oil company makes. Yeah. So that's... One piece of it, and that obviously the the sustainability connection is an energy connection there, and it's also an ecological connection, helping to protect life on land, helping to protect water resources, and then health is also a hugely important area of sustainability. Access to health, in particular, and access to quality healthcare is extremely important, and that's where you are now. I guess my question is: Is it something? that you consider in your projects, or does it happen to be a byproduct of these two kind of really big things that you've worked on? It's definitely more of a byproduct. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say that I woke up and decided to be like a sustainability activist or really an activist for anything. Like I feel kind of guilty saying that, Um, but just like I'm not really motivated by the things my investors are, right? Like profits making a lot of money in what I do happens to be a byproduct. And I'm glad Mm -hmm. that it makes some people happy so that I can keep doing what I'm doing. Um, Just like I'm glad that these things do contribute to sustainable development. Yeah. So you are driven by your goals so much so that sustainability as a byproduct, it's great that your projects are sustainable projects, but you are going to move forward with your goals because you're so intentioned no matter what. Yeah, I I think it's more, yeah, it's more about impact. And when there's a really big problem that's affecting a lot of people, I want to fix it. Yeah. And that idea is one of the big ideas within sustainability, that problems that are affecting so many people are all interconnected and interrelated. So if you are trying to fix a problem with, I don't know, building design and the way buildings are designed, if you're trying to fix one of those problems, it's probably going to move in a direction that's more sustainable. If you're trying to fix something in the healthcare system or specifically about specific drugs, it will probably move in a more sustainable direction. Mm -hmm. There are so many people out there that don't realize what they're doing is contributing towards this green revolution. Um, And you are a major contributor, so thank you for that. Thank you for... (laughs) 
educating people on what sustainability <laughs> actually is. No, of course. Um, I want to know, because you, you speak publicly about these things in such a clear and concise way, have you ever considered running for political office? I think after my experience in high school, <laughs> running for office, <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> okay. There's so many different like factors involved that just don't really contribute to like my end goals. Um, mm -hmm. I really got distracted by like how to please everybody and just coming on the realization that that is actually impossible and how unhappy I was just with all of the criticisms. And it was just too frustrating. I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> no, I understand. Um, it's funny, my least favorite question ever, and I'm not going to ask you this question, is where do you see yourself in five years and where do you see yourself in 10 years? Because personally, my goals keep changing and developing. And I feel like if I set a benchmark for myself, then all I'm going to want to do is achieve it by then when I could be so much farther by then if I let myself kind of yeah. grow and think about it during that time. So instead of where do you see yourself in five or 10 years, what's next for you? What is the next step, the next goal? The next big goal would be to get birth control subsidized by the government, which I know we just went like 10 years backwards on that. <laughs> um, now yeah. insurance companies aren't even required to cover birth control, which is mind blowing. Yeah. But yeah, overarchingly, I would really like to get women on a non-hormonal pill that isn't negatively affecting their health and potentially their fertility. And I want to have all of that subsidized somehow. If not by the government, then we'll figure out another way. Yeah. We'll figure out another way is a great phrase. And I, lo <laughs> I love that phrase. I use it in my life. As soon as a roadblock is put in my way, we'll figure out another way. As we're uh, wrapping up here, I get so many young people kind of looking to develop projects in their communities because they see issues in their communities and they see things that they want to fix and start to address. If you could give one or two pieces of advice, what would it be to get on kind of the path that you took? I would say for starters, obviously we've talked about being obnoxious, but mm. it goes way deeper than that. It's kind of you're going to run into roadblocks when you try to do something that not a lot of people are doing or maybe hasn't ever even been done at all. Um, it's allowing your mind to stay open and stay positive about your goal. And it's easier to do that when your motivations are, <laughs> I don't want to say pure, um, but think, really think about why you're pursuing what you're pursuing, because if you genuinely want to fix a problem that will help a lot of people, then you're going to find a way. If you're doing it because you woke up and said, I hate being poor, I want to make a lot of money, then you might run into some issues. <laughs> so definitely check your motivations and make sure they're properly aligned. That's great. If people want to find out more about you, Aside from going to read your paper, which is titled, and I'm going to read this, 
a method for identifying the photo products, mechanisms, and toxicity of petroleum from the Deepwater Horizon high-performance liquid chromatography and DNPHI derifitization, if I pronounced that right. Um, aside from reading that paper, which was the first paper that you published, where can they find more information about the stuff that you're working on? I would say that at least right now, um, I'm most active on social media, like Instagram. I share probably too much of my life on there, so, but you can definitely go. And um, I love interacting with people. So if you message me, we can definitely chat more um, if anyone wants advice or just to talk about life. Amazing. Well, that's how we connected. And that's yes. why you're here today talking on the podcast, because we connected on Instagram. So that's definitely a great tool to reach you. For anyone who's listening who wants to follow Kiana on Instagram, you can find her under at Kiki the Chemist. Thank you so much for being here today. Your story is incredibly inspiring, and you are brilliant, creative, and obnoxious. And I think those are <laughs> three amazing things that I now want to live my life by. So thank you for inspiring me. Um, I appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to support this podcast, please visit sustainablepartnersinc.org slash donate. Also, follow us on Instagram at sustainable.partners. Today's episode was engineered by Drew Alsbrook, produced and edited by Shelby Kaufman, and executive produced by Sustainable Partners, Inc. I'm your host, Adam Met, and thanks for listening to Planet Reimagined.